Anyway, I hope things are going well for you. We're really glad you're with us today. You know, it's ironic that for a communist system, the fascination with wealth and fame in China right now is off the hook. According to Forbes, as of 2015, mainland China has 213 billionaires. Girls, women there look for five C's in a husband. A lot of cash, a great career, a condo, because property is incredibly expensive, a really good car, a license plate to drive in Shanghai during rush hour costs $13,000. Maybe we could put that on 281. The fifth C was condition. They want a husband in great condition who's fit. So it's a very youth-oriented culture. This is a place where the government and schools officially promote atheism. There are over 1.3 billion people in China. Not one of them becomes a Christian because it's convenient. A researcher at Purdue University estimates there are currently 80 million Christians in China and that in 15 years there will be 245 million. That means there will be more Christians in China than any other country in the world. Kind of unbelievable stuff is going on. The strange thing about the church is that the steeper the challenge, the higher the price, the greater the demand, usually the more noble the church. The church is usually at its best when the world around it is at its worst. And then I thought about us, and I kind of wondered, where do you think it's harder to be the church? China or San Antonio? <clears throat> I want to tell you what the Bible says that our mission is as the church, and then I want to say what that might mean for you and me. So I want to quote Psalms 78. And David writes, I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, would, but keep his commandments. So I was trying to think of the way to picture this, and you kind of get this idea from the Psalms, if you picture, voila, three chairs. And I want to talk about being a three-chair church. So this chair right here in the middle represents my place in the family of God. This is where, spiritually, you and I sit. When you first came to this church, there was a chair for you. And I don't doubt some of you can still remember where you were sitting when you gave your life to Jesus or you got a word of encouragement you needed so bad, or you got some sort of physical or emotional healing, or you got direction when you were confused. Now, some of you have been sitting in the same chair for years. You think you own that chair. 
you get a little offended if somebody else sits in your chair. That's your chair. Well, then there's the chair to my right. Now, the chair to my right here is kind of a reminder that somebody came before me. Somebody invited me here. Somebody made a place for you. Now, the first time some of you ever came to church, you were adults, and you were very skeptical. You sat in the back so you could get away if things got weird. People started singing. Somebody in front maybe put their hand up, and you kind of thought, that's kind of weird. Do they have a question? What's going on with that? But then somehow, somewhere along the line, you met God. Now, for others of you, that's not your story at all. For some of you, by the time you got to this church, you were already a lifer. You'd been doing church since you were a little kid. In the words of the church I grew up in, and Percy, you did too, by the time you came here, you were already a Bible-toting, Scripture-quoting, blood-bought, spirit-taught, faith-walking, gospel-talking believer with a capital B. Yep. But whatever your story, none of us came to faith by ourselves. You can picture a line of chairs from this one to my right that goes all the way back to Jesus. And that's why the church is pretty amazing. Nothing quite like it. Jesus told his friends. They told their friends. They told their friends. And often at a very great price. Not a single generation got skipped right down to the chair where I now sit. Where you sit. Then there's a chair to my left. The psalmist says, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done, then they would put their trust in God. Now, this chair represents the people still to come. This is the next generation, and that's what the third chair is for. You know, reaching them to present everyone fully mature in Christ, as St. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. That's the main thing. And that's what we're about as a church. You might think about these three chairs here as the past, the present, and the future. And here's what I love about our chair. A lot of new churches are startup churches, and I call them two-tear churches, just two. They're, 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 they're recently started. They're doing a great job, creative job of reaching the next generation. So we thank God for them. That's a good thing. But they don't get the joy and the challenge of being nearly a 40-year legacy to pass on like we do. Then there are churches I know of that had a great past where God did some amazing things, but because the culture is changing and they refuse, well, for whatever reason, they don't have a future. They, don't, they just age, decline, and die, like some of you. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Now, what I love about our church is the fact we got a great past, we have a great present, and a greater future potential. We get to be a three-chair church, and that's why we're here. Being a Jesus-centered, Jesus-loving, Jesus-captivated church that cares about our world, our culture, without getting co-opted by a political agenda. It is a place where women and men serve together equally because they're gifted by God's Holy Spirit. 
You know, it's where we care about justice, compassion, where we can be shaped by Scripture, inspired by God, led by the Holy Spirit, and empowered by prayer. This is a place where we can be part of feeding the hungry, loving the lonely, healing the brokenhearted, and spreading the gospel good news all around the world. Then we will tell the next generation, God had this plan, you see, where what this chair passed on to me, I'm going to pass on to this chair here. That's God's plan. How simple, right? So this weekend, I want to ask something of everybody at Summit. You know, that torch did not get handed to me or you by accident. It happened because a group of people somewhere, sometime, made a decision. And they said, we'll work, we'll pray, we'll serve, we will dream, we will give, we will sacrifice, we will persevere, we will pay the high price for a noble cause. And what makes a church great, listen, is when people care more about the chair that represents the future than they care about the chair that represents the present. Now listen, listen, listen. A lot of older people, I know what that means. I'm, I'm in that age group, but I know what a lot of older people think. Well, why don't we wear robes? Well, that music is so loud. Well, do we need those lights? Well, why don't they have an organ? Well, why don't they do it this way? Why do they do that? See, you are living in the present chair, thinking just about you. We're trying to think about the next generation. What brought you into the kingdom of God isn't the same thing that will reach the next generation. And listen, I'll prove it to you. Go back to your high school and look at your hairstyle. <laughs> look at the fashion you wore 10, 12 years ago. It's embarrassing. You changed. Yet you think, well, let me say this. Scripture never changes. Method, style, music changes all the time. And what appealed to you doesn't appeal to them. I have grandchildren. I would lay down 20 bucks when they were little. They're grown now. When they were little, I would lay down 20 bucks to buy a VeggieTale video that I would step on, drive over in my car, and never listen to in my life. I would lay down 20 bucks so they could pick up a relationship with Jesus. They would watch it. They would listen to it. So for that cause, I laid down my preference for their preference. Some of you old-timers from... Baptist churches, black churches, Hispanic churches, Baptist churches, whatever you came from, you need to lay it down and recognize the only thing inspired and the only thing eternal was truth. But everything else is optional. And so are we going to live for the next generation or are we just going to be about me, myself, and I, what I like, you know? For less than a dollar, you can go to CVC down here and get you some earplugs. You can sit further in the back. You can tell yourself, I know my why is here to be an encouragement, to help sow, give, and serve so the next generation can pick up a relationship with Jesus. 
And when this next generation takes over Summit, and they take over everything we haven't done, it's because they're standing on the shoulders of the past generation who passed to them our sacrifice, our stewardship, our risk, our money, our faith, so they could have the opportunity then to take it to the next generation. So you've got to think big time. You've got to be thinking for the future. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's thinking way into the future. We don't think past lunch. Some of you still look for a lunar eclipse to bring the end of the world. When is this going to end? That's never been an assignment of anybody in Scripture. Anywhere. I'll eat the page. God says, you go into all the world and you preach the good news to everybody on this earth. Fill the earth with my glory. Occupy till I come. Well, that's our main thing. But a lot of times we get distracted. So, folks, this is our day. This is our church. So I'm going to ask you to help. Will you do for the next generation what the last generation did for you? And I want to make this question as clear as I know how to make it for everybody who says, Summit is my church. This is my place. I'm in. I'm talking to you. So I want to break this into the four B's. In Shanghai, they're looking for the five C's. But I want us to look at the four B's. You ready? Won't take long. Number one, be inviting. Be inviting. Because the gospel, knowing God and faith, get passed on from one person at a time. And it's been that way since Jesus. You're here because somebody at some point said, hey, let me tell you about my faith. Let me tell you about our church. You ought to come check us out. And, and here's this empty chair. What person who is in your life at the moment would God like to be sitting here? Does anybody have anybody in your life, your family, that next generation, someone from the place you work, someone from your neighborhood, somebody who's a relative, even a child, whose spiritual well-being you're concerned about? I got my hand up. When there's somebody you really love and they're far from God and you can't make them come, you start praying like crazy. God, let there be somebody in their life who knows you, who cares about them genuinely, who will invite them into a community of faith so they can take the next step to get back home with you. See, a church is great when people care more about the chair of the future than they care about the chair of the present. A lot of you have experienced this. You started coming to church here. You came for a while. Maybe you found out it was helpful. Then one week, somewhere along the line, you invited a friend to come, somebody you care about, maybe somebody from work or a neighbor, somebody who maybe doesn't have a relationship with God. And you invited them to church, they came, and all of a sudden, it's amazing how different you see things. You start seeing Summit through their eyes, and you pray different, oh Lord, this weekend, God, make the people here even more friendlier than usual. May they get a body massage, not a hug. Make the music better, better than it already is. Help Rick, oh God, help Rick, preach way, way better than usual. And all of a sudden, you're looking at stuff through their eyes, not yours. And the stakes get raised a hundred times because you realize, man, eternity could be in the balance for this person I love, and it matters. 
Now, many years ago at our old location, a woman once came up to me and she said, Rick, my boss is not a believer, but boy, he needs God. And I've been praying for him and inviting him to church for months. He's never come. Rick, he's here today. Don't blow it. I love that. I love that. When there's somebody you care about and you take the next step to invite them, God works. Let me give you some situations where people are most likely to be open to God. Well, somebody's getting married. Other times are when somebody's going through maybe a divorce or a couple is having a baby. When somebody's just moved to the area. Well, when somebody's lost a job. Other times are when somebody's dealing with an addiction or they're dealing with recovery. When somebody's gone through a loss, a tragic loss, and they're in grief. Maybe it's a financial difficulty. Maybe they're under pressure with severe problems with their family. And you say, hey, come on, you ought to come to my church. You're going to love it. It's going to be encouraging. It's just that simple. You don't have to be a theologian. And I'll tell you how serious this is. The Pew Research Center released a study several months ago. Here's a paraphrase of what it says. Quote, Christians are leaving the faith in droves, and the trend isn't slowing down. The biggest faith story in our day is that in the last seven years, the number of people in the United States who call themselves followers of Jesus has dropped by 10%. Not only is the church not growing, but every year, 1% of people who once said they follow Jesus are dropping out. In that same time frame, the number of people who identify as agnostic or atheist has apparently doubled. Now, I don't know about you, that's not okay. Those are our friends, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors. Now, listen, the church is exploding in nations around the world. I just talked to you about China. And the church for over 2,000 years has ebbed and flowed. And there are places it's growing like crazy. But in our oversaturated saturated America, there is a decline. Not in believing in God, that seems to remain the same. But going to church. We've got live stream, podcast. So people are trying to do God alone. Now, you can go to heaven alone, and you can get saved alone, but the Bible says two are better than one. A threefold court is not easily broken. Psalm 68 says God sets the solitary in families. God is a family man. He connects people. He wants you in a church family. You won't grow alone. You can play a sport by yourself. You can high-five yourself. You, you can talk to yourself, but you can't grow. It takes people. It takes relationships. And so God brings us together. Jesus thought the church was his eternal purpose, and he gave his life for it. That says it's very important, not optional. We're not a timeshare program where you come two or three weeks out of the year and then you just do whatever the heck you want with your whole life. This is a commitment. It's very important. It's vital to your health and to your children and to your children's children. So the first thing I want to ask you to do, 
be inviting because people need to know Jesus and nobody is so smart or so together they don't need God. Be inviting. Number two, be connecting. Be connecting. People might come to church because they like the music or maybe they're touched by a message or something like that. But I'll give you a secret this morning. They only stay because of relationships. They stay because they get connected. They stay because they've made a friend or friends. I've talked to people over my years who are part of a church as dead as Julius Caesar. The music is terrible. The preaching is irrelevant. It's awful. And I say, why do you, you're such a wonderful, why do you stay in such a dead museum? You know why? Because of all my friends. And that's how important it is to get connected. See? And the best way we have to help people get connected is through connect groups. Isolation, spiritually or physically, is lethal to your health. CNN reported in 2014 a study that found that people are 45% more likely to die if they're isolated, lonely, or left out than if they are relationally connected. Sociologist Robert Putnam found that if you join a small group in the next year while doing nothing else to increase your health, like habits or what you eat or exercise, you cut your odds of dying in the next year in half. I was thinking our motto ought to be, join a connect group or die. So I'm asking, if you haven't been connected, if you have not been part of a connect group, join one. It will enrich your life, and God will use you to help somebody else. Your experiences, good or bad, are going to help somebody in that group who needs help. Contact the church to know how to get in one. Or go to a four-week class we call Summit Life. New members. It's the best way to catch an overflow of this church, what it's about, how it was founded, why we're here. Now, if you've been around our church for quite a while, and you've known Jesus for quite a while, don't just be in a connect group. How about lead a connect group? Because this is part of being a three-chair church. If you're older, ask God for a younger person you can kind of pour yourself into. If you're younger, ask God for an older person who can mentor you. If you're not sure whether you're older or younger, you're older. (laughs) So, be inviting. Second, be connecting. Number three, be generous. Be generous. If Summit is your church, and if you know Jesus, and you know this is your place, and you want to know what to do if you want to be part of the core of this church, I want to ask you, to get a plan financially to support our church. The reason we can give hundreds of thousands of dollars to support child protective services, and by the way, every Christmas we support the entire Bear County Child Protective Services, giving them the Christmas presents they want and ask for. No, No whatever we have you get, no, no, what you want you get. And then almost elementary school, nearly 1,000 children, government support. I think about what a privilege we get to take care of their entire year school supplies, 
plus their lunches that they don't have, all because of the generosity of people in this church who support it financially. And then you'll see on news, we have tons of other social agencies we pour our money into. Uh, Watoto Orphanage over in Africa, Uganda, uh, our chosen women support that financially every year. I don't know if you know it, but it costs money to help people. It costs money. And the sad part is 35 to 40% of this church, probably any church, give nothing. I mean, not a penny in a whole year. They're enriched, they're helped, they're blessed, but they don't give anything. That's tragic. You cannot go through the Bible, Old or New Testament, without seeing giving. You cannot. It is not there. You can argue about tithing all you want, but you cannot argue about generosity. Every first day of the week, they laid in store as God has prospered them. Honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruit of all your increase. So shall your barns burst out with uh, wheat and your wine vats overflow with new wine. God talks about giving more than any subject in the Bible. And it isn't based on how rich you are. From the least to the greatest, we can be generous it's an attitude, it's a spirit, and we can't operate without it. The gospel is free, but your chair ain't free. The electricity keeping you from sweating, that ain't free. Ask CPS what they bill us. That's nearly $40,000 in one month just so you don't sweat. Thank you. Thank you, yes. Thank me by putting an offering in there, doing something. And over and over and over. Our, our vacation Bible school, since we started this church, we've never charged a penny to anybody. And anybody, member, non-member, can bring their children and have a wonderful week at our expense. It's always been that way. It'll always be that way, helping other people. So we want to reach people for Christ. But in order to carry it out, we need to ask you to help us fund these ongoing ministries. So I'm asking you, if you're a follower of Jesus, and if Summit is your church home, to make an intentional plan to financially support our church. Now the final B. Can you handle one more? Be inviting, be connected, be generous, and number four, be serving. Be serving. I'm asking every follower of Jesus who calls Summit their church home to get out of the bleachers, roll up your sleeves, get in the game, discover your spiritual gift, and serve. You can join a worship team, point a camera, hold a baby, greet a guest, offer a prayer, and it's a strange thing, folks. You experience God more when you serve than if you watch. Remember the scripture... Matthew said, give, and it shall be given to you. That's not just money. That's love. That's mercy. That's time. That's sharing your talent. You serve. You get richer because of it. You get more back than the person you serve. It's a fact. You said, well, I don't know. That's because you never served. Everybody in America wants to be served. They just don't want to serve. And yet, here's what Jesus said. If, you com if he's your... Lord and Savior, he said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom. And if he was willing to lay down his attributes of deity to become a human being through a human womb 
to come and then be crucified for my sin so I could have a relationship with the Father for eternity. What, what's, what's your problem? I mean, you, ever, you, you know, some of you get a little serious about eternity when a friend dies. Or we hear about somebody being killed tragically in an automobile accident and it's so unexpected and so sudden and they're so young and they had such potential and they're gone. Then you, for a few moments, you get sober-minded. We ought to think about that way all the time. I don't have any guarantee I'll be alive by the end of the day and neither do you. And the way some of you drive, maybe before you get off this parking lot, <laughs> we do have stop signs out there. They aren't just for decoration, you know, stop. Look, protect others. So be inviting, be connected, be generous, and be serving. How high are the stakes? Guys, sky high. Will somebody be sitting in that chair right here? Will that next generation come to know God? Are we, Summit Church, who God has so richly blessed, going to be part of a movement to roll back the sweeping tide of secularism and unleash the message, love, reality, good news, and person of Jesus so it sweeps over the San Antonio area. Will we be part of a movement to tell our children, grandchildren, friends we love, and people all around the world, because we travel all around the world and preach all around the world, and are you going to be part of it? Now, here's what I believe. I believe the best is yet to come. I believe our God stands ready to pour out greater blessings than we have seen yet. I believe God is calling for an army of people who are in right down to their toes. What do you say? See, would you pray with me? Just bow your head for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the generations of people we don't even know, but who made sacrifices about which we've never even heard, who worked who prayed, who sweated, who gave, who labored, and dreamed. I thank you for the generation upon generation upon generations going all the way back to Jesus who faced trouble, persecution, prison, suffering, and danger so we could have a relationship with you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the gospel. Thanks for Jesus. God, thanks for today. And thanks for tomorrow. I pray for this church. I pray, Lord, you'd pour out a spirit of devotion to Jesus Christ of unforced joy and wholehearted commitment. I pray you would unleash a movement of your spirit around San Antonio like we've never seen before. And I mean, Lord, every church that preaches Jesus, knock them out. Knock them out. I pray this in the wonderful, matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.